Welcome to today's broadcast. Before we uh, start this uh, broadcast today, let's just bow our heads and let's just pray. Because I want to speak to us today of a serious nature, about a serious nature. And uh, I want your heart to be ready before you listen to me. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those who are listening, wherever you're listening to from around the world, I pray peace to you, peace to your home, peace to your family and peace to your nation. And I pray that this message may reach your heart today and may do your spirit good and, and deposit and um, heaven into your heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, for the last six months, it's no secret the nations of the world have been fighting this pandemic known as COVID or a coronavirus. When nations enter into emergencies, of which every nation has, uh, and one nation, especially the United States, they use a system called the DEFCON system. And the DEFCON system is a way of describing the uh, defence readiness condition of the armed forces. So... It describes the levels of maybe DEFCON 5. So if I look at this first sc uh, this screen here and this slide, I'll give you an example of a DEFCON 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And every one of those numbers gives a state of readiness and a response to what is happening in that nation or the threat of that nation at any one given time. 5 being the most relaxed, 1 being the most severe. And, you know, right now we could be in DEFCON 3, 2, I don't know, five, and we may not even know it, but our military forces, our military and military forces around the world, they know at any one given time who their threats are coming from, where their threats are coming from, and what those threats are likely to be. And if we will never know unless they inform us and tell us. Well, during this COVID pandemic, if we've seen anything, um, in the lockdown and the unlock, uh, the British government especially adopted a very similar system to the DEFCON system, but we called it the R rating, the R rating. So if you're watching from abroad, your nation may have used a different system, but in the British system, we use a system called the R rating. And it, again, it's our defence and, and our readiness and our alertness to this virus and to its infection rate. Some people call it the RI, the, the rate of infection, or the ROI, the rate of infection, but I want to call it this morning uh, the R rating effect, the R rating effect. So when you have an R rating uh, effect, you have restrictions. Every city, every nation has restrictions. Why? Because of the virus pandemic. It's now beginning to infiltrate every facet of society and it doesn't, it's not prejudiced, it's not proud, it just affects, it does what a virus does. It just affects and takes people's lives. Well, when you look at the R rating system, you see the nation, you see the people, and you see the nation's ability to, to run in a coherent manner. Let me say that again. You see the nation, you see the people of that nation, and then the ability for the people of that nation to function in a coherent manner. I want to say this to you, that the ROI or the R rating, we will become victorious over this. Already now, our infection rate is beginning to drop, as is with the case with so many other nations across the world. The infection rate is beginning to drop. However, with the unlocking problem is many nations are scared that it will begin to increase and the, the, the rate of infection will again increase. But that's a suspicion, that's a, a probability, but 
we can't say that for definite. But I want to tell us today, I want to speak to us today, that I believe that we've been fighting an epidemic much longer than the current epidemic that we've been fighting, known as coronavirus. Or coronavirus. And, uh, and this epidemic, has been, we've been fighting it for a long time, and it begins with an R, and it's an R rate. And I want to talk to you today about this uncomfortable subject because the world is talking about it, and it's the R is for racism. Here on my slide, you can see it's a multicultural slide of all colours involved. The R rating is so, so important that we discuss this R rating because it's affecting nations right now. It's affecting people. It's affecting diverse groups of people. Now, what we need to see is across the nations, we need to see such healthy dialogue. We need to see dialogue take place so that we can eradicate this pandemic called racism. You know, in this slide here, we see that there's an R rating and you can see it as it moves across the nation. Look at the map here. You'll see hot spots. Now, this is, I've taken this slide from the uh, slide that our government, British government, showed on national TV. But I'm using it in, in my uh, message this morning because you can see the DEFCON. You can see the scale there. Now, th at this particular time, they were showing us that the R rating, the rate of infection, was at this level. But you can see through the map of this country, uh, from this map, should say, you can see where there are certain aspects of the nation that had the high points of infection. Well, if we were to take racism and do an R rating, or if you were to take an R, R rating... And you were to do it on the map of your own country. Where do you think the rate of infection, or where would you put the rate of infection in your own country? Think about that for a minute. In which area of society do you perceive the rate of infection of racism? Hmm. Is it in the educational system? Is it in the political system? Is it in the judicial system? Is it the industrial, the financial? Or is it just right across society? I'm going to let you think about this because there is an R rating for racism which is right across the nation and right across the nations of the world. In what areas, cities, geographically, would you say it's more in the north of your nation? Would you say it's in the south of your nation? Would you say it's in the east or the west? Or even if you were to take your, uh, a polar, uh, I can't think of the word, if you were to take a, a th uh, consensus in your own city, that's the word I'm looking for, consensus. If you were to do that in your own city, would it be in the north of your city, the south, the east or the west? Because racism, racism is everywhere. And it's everybody's issue to deal with. In what type of companies would you say racism is seen? Is it, is it a fact? Is it a suspicion? Is it your particular experience that you can actually say, well, when I work for this company, I witnessed racism in this company. But when I worked for that company, I didn't have any experiences of racism. Or let me ask a more Emotive question. In what type of churches do we see racism? Wow. 
You know, Britain right now is becoming more and more a multicultural nation, and we are seeing such a diverse group of people coming to churches. And yeah, I really thank God that we have a multicultural church here in Drolsden. But for many other churches across the city and across the nation of Great Britain, I cannot speak for them, I can only speak for ourselves, but do we, see, do we perceive racism even in the church? And where does it manifest? Is the R, does the R rating manifest right inside the house of God? Wow, because if it does, we are seriously, seriously in trouble. Do you know, when I look at the R rating, we see it again on this slide, the R rating, the rate of the numbers of infections. You see, the moment somebody is infected with racism, the infection rate of a society increases. The infection rate of a church increases. The infection rate of a nation increases because it starts in you and it starts in me. Racism starts in the individual. It's not in a march. That's the explosion of people taking their frustrations onto the street and making this cause of theirs known, which you can fully understand. But racism comes down to the individual in a street. When you're driving a car and a car cuts across you, what is the first thing you shout out first? Do you shout out a man's colour, a woman's colour, a race, their culture, or do you, or do you what? Racism starts in you and it starts in me. But you know, as I've been looking at racism, it carries, I want you to just think about this word readiness for a second, because when we go back to the DEFCON, the 54321, and the state of readiness, in other words, how fast can you respond and are you ready? Apparently, the American military is that the American Air Force has got to be ready on DEFCON 1, American Air Force has got to be ready to deploy its planes within 15 minutes where the military has to be to deploy, be ready to deploy its troops within a six-hour period. That's on a DEFCON 1. But if we look at this state of readiness, do you know what the word means? It means willingness to do something. It means willingness for something. Watch this. Eagerness, keenness, and enthusiasm. So if we're going to eradicate racism, there has to be a state of of readiness inside your heart and my heart. Never mind the institution you work for. Let's bring it down to you and let's bring it down to me. There has to be a DEFCON number in your heart. On any one given moment, you have to be at a state of readiness, which means a willingness to do something. A willingness for something. An eagerness, a keenness, and an enthusiasm. Wow. Do you know, when we look at history and we see Malcolm X, some of you may not know who Malcolm X was in 1965. He was a civil rights uh, activist. But he, his version of trying to get his message across was through anger, through frustration. Very much of what we see right now. But the problem with this is, is that eventually he himself was killed and assassinated by the Muslim Brotherhood. So anger provoked anger. And then later on in 1968, another man by the name of Martin Luther King, he also brought the issue of racism to our doorsteps, to our conscience. But this time Martin didn't go through the door of anger and rage. 
Martin tried to appeal to the conscience of a generation. He tried to appease and tried to speak and, and, and convict the moral conscience of you and I. And yet his work, 50 years later, it's still ongoing. But the problem here is this. In this recent pandemic of racism, there is no leadership. There is anger. There is frustration. And various organizations are trying to appeal to the conscious, the moral conscience of people, of individuals, to try and do something. But there is nothing that can take place unless you and I are willing to come to a state of readiness inside our own uh, hearts and minds. You know, listen to what scripture says about anger and rage. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. There's a difference between Malcolm X and Luther King. One vented his anger. That was his message. The other one, I tried to appeal to the conscience of a nation. Now watch this. Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, says the word. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. Why? For anger resides in the laps of fools. So even in this pandemic, there, right now there's a lot of anger and rage going onto the streets and we fully understand why people do what they do. But what I'm appealing to the Christian now, the believer. And our word tells us, what the Bible doesn't say is, what creates the anger in you and I? It's telling us that when anger is created, there is a behavior that will either get us in hot water or a behavior that will get us pleasing and acceptable in the eyes of God. So it says, for anger resides in the laps of fools. Going back to Proverbs 29, verse 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger. A fool gives vent. A fool gives full vent to his anger. But a wise man keeps himself under control. Wow. This is why self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So, <laughs> here in this uprising against racism, we see two proponents of... of uh, fighting for civil rights, we see one what was done through anger, one was done through the moral conscience. My challenge to you and I, listening to this message today, is this. Anger will not do it. And appealing to the moral conscience of people will do it to a degree. But my concern about what's going on right now is that there is no leadership for it. Right now we see the streets are filled with anger and frustration and rage and fully, I fully understand it, though I don't fully agree with it. I fully understand it. What I do understand is that you and I, if we don't give what we feel some leadership, we're no different than everybody else outside. I'm appealing to you, the Christian, today to give racism top priority. But don't vent it through anger. Vent it through intelligence. Give it some leadership. Stand up in the moment when you need to stand up and speak out uh, about its evil as it really is. It's evil. You know, I've deliberately held my peace from speaking 
to you over the last couple of weeks as a pastor. I've deliberately held back. Why? Because the social media has had so much noise. And I didn't want to be just another voice lost in the middle of the noise. I wanted to speak to you, the Dream Centre, and to you who listen to us and watch us uh, wherever you are in the world. I wanted to speak to you on this subject because at a time when I needed to speak to you, and I believe that time is right now, I've had an incredible shift in my heart the last couple of weeks, listening and watching and reading and learning all about this racism. And, you know, I believe God has spoke to me and I believe God has, 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 I've made a journey in my own heart to understand those who who, who hurt, those who have got this, who deal with this day in and day out. You have to make a journey. And I'm, I'm glad to say I'm making a journey. I am still making a journey because I don't know what it feels like to wear black skin, just like many don't know what it is to wear white skin. But, you know, I've got to understand and you've got to understand. We must understand this in order to stand up and fight injustice. And that's what we must do. I don't believe social media is the platform or the runway for you and I to make our comments. I believe there are platforms in life where we can speak. And I believe this is a platform that God has given us to speak into the lens of a camera right now. And if this camera wasn't here, I'd be speaking to you direct. But thank God that we have cameras and we can, the message can still go on. You see, social media is full of lies. It's full of politics, human opinions, cultural prejudice. It's full of speculation, fear, suspicion. And last and least, it's filled with endless distortion. So why would I want to speak on social media to you about something that is so serious when I can speak to you direct without any noise coming in? Well, some of you may have known. Um, oh, let me just go back a second and pick up on a thought. You know, you, you the Dream Center, are the, are the people group that I believe, are you the people group that I love the most? outside of my wife and children, you are the people that God gave to me to pastor and to lead. And I am so grateful to God, so grateful to God that he has given us such a diverse congregation. You'll never know what that does to, to my heart. I'm quite uh, guard, uh, quite protective of, of that. And I believe that God has given us something that many churches or many pastors have not had that privilege of pastoring a multicultural church. And I want to jump down in the trenches with you. Yeah, because I believe this is where we need to be together, right in the midst. Your pastor is in the trench with you, fighting this whole, to me, demonic war on racism. And, I, and you need to know that me, as a pastor, and we as a leadership, are fully on the ground with you. I know as I'm speaking to many uh, African families and many other diverse nations uh, who come to our church, we're right in, in, in this battle with you. You're not on your own. We don't want you to feel like you're on your own. We have chosen this moment to speak to you because this is the moment we should speak. The Bible tells us there's a time to speak and a time to keep, keep quiet. But you know, there was a system known as the Stockholm system, syndrome, sorry. Stockholm Syndrome, and some of you may not understand this, but it was in, the 19, in 1973, uh, there was a bank robbery in Stockholm and where people were taken captive and there was hostages taken. And, uh, and the, the, the psychologists have done reports on this time and time, and they found that 
when you are taken captive by some, someone or something and then you become friends with it, you end up defending, even though they're wrong, you end up defending and growing and we're in, because you defend because you have a growing sympathy for them. Now, these people were taken hostage as the bank was robbed and a man by the name of um, Jan Eric Holson, who, when he was finally released from prison, do you know what happened? He married the woman he actually took hostage. Can you imagine that? And what I want to say to you is sometimes when we have indifference and we have so many things that take place, and racism's like a bank robbery. Generationally, generationally, and generationally, we have been taken captive by this thing called racism. We all inherit the racism that went before us and then we build and, and weave into our own generation ongoing racism which then becomes the transition and the, the transference that comes into the next generation. So that's why it's systemic within, within uh, nations. And we see that we've become captive to this whole thing called racism. But you know, in many ways, we have learned to sympathize and put up with it. And rather than labeling our hostage keeper, the you are called racism, we have allowed it to contain us and uh, limit us and constrain us rather than us being free from our captor. And that's exactly what's happened here with racism. We've all been taken captive from it in some small individual way or in some large way. Now, none of us get to choose the color of our skin. None of us get to choose where we're born. None of us get to choose our parents. But you know what we do? We do get to choose the culture we adapt. And culture is something that we can never escape from. It's there everywhere we go. Whether I'm in another man's land or another man is in my land, culture is something we cannot escape. So culture is something that we can't escape. Do you know, I've often heard this phrase, white and privileged. Well, I consider myself to be a white, privileged person. Let me tell you why. In 1960, or excuse me, in the 1960s, 61 to be precise, I was born on planet Earth. But I was born in Ire Openshaw, Manchester. And I've been raised in some of the most posher parts of Manchester that you could ever imagine. Yes, I've been raised in different parts of Manchester. I was born in an uh, higher open shore, but then I was also raised in Withenshaw, beautiful place. I was also raised in Mossside before I finally moved up, back up to higher open shore where I spent the majority of my years. And I consider myself to be privileged. I was born into a multicultural family of multi-ethnic backgrounds consisting of Togolese, Lebanese, and Nigerian, and obviously English. My step-grandfather was my grandfather. It's all I ever known him as my grandfather who came from Togo. And <clears throat> my I have a stepsister called Rena. I was culturally born white, and I was privileged. My father's sister, Kathleen, she married a Middle Eastern man from Lebanon called Jimmy. And he had... They all said they had a daughter. So I had a cousin called Davina who was half British, half Lebanese. And then 
After a while, that same auntie, she ended up divorced and uh, she married again. But this time she married a Nigerian and she married this man called Sammy. And they had four children, four black children. So my multicultural background is growing and growing and growing. But you know what I uh, realized that man should not live by bread alone. What do I mean by that? Well, this cultural background that I was raised in gave me leverage and it gave me privileges. Well, what does I mean by that? Well, I was eating, well, the English population was eating fish and chips, meat, veg, uh, vegetables and uh, calories and, and pies and chips and all that stuff. I was eating okra. I was eating fufu. I was eating maize. I was eating stew. I was eating African stew. And then, to top it all off, I was eating Middle Eastern food. I was tasting hummus. I was tasting olives. And I was eating baklava. All in a time when, when white Middle Britain had never even tasted these foods. So yes, I'm white and privileged. Well, it doesn't even stop there. Because to this day, my, even my own daughter-in-law comes from Australia. And my family and my cultural my cultural family seems to be as diverse and is growing time and time and time again. Of which I say, thank you, Lord. So if you say I'm white and privileged, I am white and privileged, but not for many of the reasons why you may seem uh, I'm white and privileged. I'm white and privileged. Why? Because all that has given me a step to pastor a multicultural church. Of which I thank God that God has done that and is doing that. So I was born, formed and fashioned for diversity. But what about you? I've never, just, I've never been happy just being white. I've never been happy just pastoring a traditional church. Why? Because I realise white is not traditional. Black is not traditional. Traditional comes in the heart of a human being, not in the colour of a man's skin. I'm choosing to speak to you today, again, because... In the trenches is where this war has to be fought. It's not fought on a, platform, on, on a social media platform. It's fought right down here with you, praying with you, ministering with you, talking about it, dialoguing about it with one another. Because this R rating, racism, has got to be removed. So, we... Behind me in this church, you might not be able to see it from the camera angle we're at, we have a banner that says, stand up. A banner that says, step in. A banner that says, stay in. Until. That is not just a banner on a wall, that is part of our value system. Right now we are standing up. Right now we are stepping in. And we will stay in this fight to eradicate racism until change comes in us and around us. So this R rating of racism has brought this nation of ours to a current crossroads juncture. And it's bringing us as a church and it's bringing us as a people to this juncture. Jeremiah 6.16 says, This is what the Lord God says. Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But listen what they said. But we said, or but you said, should say, we will not walk in it. 
You know, it's possible to come to a crossroad juncture where the nation and this whole issue of racism, we can change. But there has to be a value system that has to be adopted in order for long-lasting change. But some will say we don't want it. Don't think for one minute, though, many of those people on the street who are fighting want the same thing you and I want. Do not ever afford yourself to think that because there's people on the street shouting, they all want the radical change that needs to happen. Because when that change starts affecting them in individual lives and in their individual careers, you'll find many of those people will not stand for it. However, racism, let me tell you this, racism on this slide, I wrote this down this week, something that I believe is important. Racism is a systemic proclivity buried deep within the human nature of humanity itself. This seed of evil has not only woven itself into the hearts of men, but it has affected and has affected the very fabric of society throughout time and generation. Such a stronghold of evil is for sure hell-bent in producing repetitive cycles that bring fear and malicious outbreaks of pain and destruction wherever these seeds are sown and wherever they're grown. Wherever such evil exists, the infection rate is visible by the actions and opinions and by the perceptions of men in that given culture. If ever such an evil is to be arrested, get ready for this, if ever such an evil is to be arrested, then we must be daringly enough to first recognise its existence and courageous enough to conceive that in some small or in some large kind of way its existence may be alive inside of you and me. Who wrote that? I did. Because that's what I feel about racism. This evil exists in every human being's heart to some small or to some large measure. And we need to be daring and courageous enough to notice it and root it out. You know the word prejudice, uh, racism? It means discrimination or antagonism. Sorry, antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on their belief that someone's race is superior. Let me say that again. Prejudice, discrimination or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on their belief that one's own race is superior. That belief, the belief that all members of each race possess characteristics, abilities or qualities specific to that race especially so as to distinguish it as inferior or superior to another race or races. Wow. Genesis 1 says this, verse 27, And God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. He didn't say what colour. He didn't go on about the culture. He said he created them equal. Male and female. And he created them in his own image. That's the standard that racism, if it's going to be kicked out, we need to understand that God created us all in his image, male and female. But the next, if we jump to uh, Genesis chapter 3, pick up verse 28. Sorry, Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, 29. And this is for us, the Christians. Watch, there is neither Jew nor Greek. So there's neither African nor English. There's neither Australian or there's neither Polish. 
There's neither slave nor free, no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, God made them male and female in his image. That was the father. Now, in the son, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free. There's neither African or English, Polish or Australian. Why? Because we're all one in Christ. So the pattern that was in the father is the same pattern that's in the son. And the same pattern that's in the father and the son must be the same pattern that's in the church. There can neither. You, so no one's taken away your identity. Where you were born is where you were born. It's not where you came from. It's where you now belong and whose you now are. And whose you now are is you are children of the Most High God. So society eats from a tree called the tree of good, of knowledge and evil. The thing about this tree is this. You cannot eat from the tree of good without taking the evil. It's as much good as it is evil, and it's as much evil as it is good. But when you cannot see the difference, you will eat and swallow from that tree. And that tree is, carries mixture, and it carries pollution, and it carries division, and it carries antagonism, and it carries discrimination, and it carries indifference, and it carries race, and it carries superiority, and it carries inferiority. But you don't see that because it's hid behind the good it's attached to the evil. And when society eats from that tree, constantly eats from that tree, that's exactly what it's partaking. It's like sprinkling a meal with some poison. And yet you taste the initial, uh, the initial taste of the meal tastes so good, you think you don't see the evil. And that's its intention. That you don't see it because what you see, you then pay attention to. You see, when you don't pay attention to something, you become captive of it and then you become friends with it and that's the Stockholm Syndrome right there. And then now you have sympathy for your captor. Well, indifference comes as a result from man eating from that tree. In Genesis 2.9, and he says, And the Lord God made all kinds of trees come out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But in verse 17 of the same chapter, it says, But you must not eat from that tree of knowledge and good of evil. For when you eat of it, watch this, you will surely die. You see, what does that tree do? That tree brings separation. What does racism do when we eat from that tree? It brings segregation. It brings separation. It brings victimization. And it brings stigmatization. It brings all the things we don't want. So, if you eat from that tree, you and I are in serious, serious trouble. Because that tree is, you know, that tree is poisoned. You know, when society eats from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's as evil, as I've said, as it's much evil as it is good. You cannot eat from that tree and think that God is going to bless us. It won't. It's only going to cause us problem. Now, society is hell-bent on eating from that tree. If we're going to eradicate racism, we must decide what tree we're going to eat from. I choose to eat from the tree of life, and so should you. So, the negatives of a global R-rating system. Watch this in this slide. Here in this slide, you're going to see... 
how I put the R rating, R for racism, and how it infects and the certain words it brings out across society. We see R is for race. And in racism or race, we see inferiority, superiority. We see people's thinking and we see their belief systems. And with race, then you get reaction. Another R. Now, again, if we're going to look at that map we've shown you before, and we look at the DEFCON of racism, where is the R rated in your nation? Where is the R rated in your city? Where is the R rated in your family? And these are the things you're going to see. How are you going to know your family, your city, your nation, or the nations are infected with racism is by these words. Where do you see the race? Where do you see the reaction? And what kind of reaction? Oh, it's so important that you listen to the reaction coming from your family, your city, your nation. Watch this. Our reactions and responses are often based on our individual biases and our culture and our education. What about the wounds and the experiences we have uh, accumulated from our culture and its origin? That's why we get reaction. That's why there's a reaction now on the streets of England. That's why there's a a reaction right on the streets of France. That's why there's a reaction on the streets of America. Each one is playing out its own experiences of racism. There's a reaction right now, right across the world. Then we see the other R is called resentment. People resent authority. People resent being pressed down. People resent, resent. And it's, it's a deep, bitter thing that's gone into the heart of man. Resentment forms and it stops people from progressing. Because with resentment, you become a captive. Then we see the other R. What about people's rights? Wow. We could stop, just stop here right now and talk about people's rights. This is the whole thing. The issue of racism is people's rights are pushed to one side. They're ignored. They're trampled down. And this is a major, major issue. When you remove rights, you restrict people's privileges. When you restrict rights, you give license to inequality and people development and the betterment of human life. That's something we should all fight for. We should all fight for. And then the last R I put on it is respect. Wow. Do you know the one thing you and I should all be able to expect is respect. The one thing, what, one thing that, that racism does, it removes respect. Where there's no respect, there is no legitimacy towards honour. Towards indifference and towards the authority of law and order itself. When you remove respect, there's no legitimacy to anything or anyone. And then you could put in another eye. It's called retaliation. My action, my words. Your silence is a reaction. Sorry, it is a retaliation. But you know, your inaction. Sometimes people say when you say nothing, it's as bad as saying something. And sometimes when you say something, they say your silence would have been more appreciated. So I guess it's knowing when to speak. But then these are the negatives of racism. But let me just take you into the kingdom. Because this is where this battle has to be fought. Last Saturday, I want to encourage you, last Saturday, your pastor, I knew that Manchester was going to have its own um, protest. And I'm 
as a man who has spent a long time praying for the peace of my city, I determinedly began to take Psalm 29. And I began to pray about Psalm 29. And I began to, to and I take this word carefully now, I took this word violently in my spirit because the Bible says uh, the, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent lay hold of it by force. And that, that violence is forcefulness. But it's done in a spirit. It's done in a particular kind of spirit that you say, I'm not standing for this. And I began to pray over the city before the, uh, the, uh, the uh, protest took place. And I began to say, God, I refuse to have one arrest. I refuse to have vandalization. I, I refuse to have looting and rioting. I, I'm all for the protest, but I'm not for the other stuff that's attached. And I, re- and I began to shout down anarchy and destruction and death and all those things. And I began to pray and I was praying for about an hour just before I came down to preach to you. I was up there interceding and I really felt this, 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 uh, this intensity in my spirit to pray over the city. And I'm glad to announce that not one, rest, one arrest was made. Why? Because God had heard my prayer and brought a covering over the city. And there was a protest and it was one of the most pre- uh, peaceful protests our cities had. And I say thanks. Thanks be to God. Why? Because racism cannot be channeled into aggression and evil and destruction. That's the nature of the spirit behind racism. It's not racism's evil, it's the spirit that attaches to it. Because wherever there is feeling and public opinion, spirits come and attach themselves behind these things and it pushes it to a point where it's completely destruction. So when we come into the kingdom, there's a different way we must think about this battle. Watch this in my slide here. The first R we see is the R. God gives us and puts us into a family and gives us relationship. The R is for relationship. We have a relationship now with our father that we've not had anywhere else. The relationship, because why? Because the son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. So now we can operate on a very different level. If we're going to fight racism, we've got to see ourselves as the sons of God. The sons of God. The the next R in the kingdom is reset. There's a lot of talk about society having a reset. Well, what's reset does? Your past life has now been forgiven. If you are still thinking and still hurting from the past life, that means there's room for healing and means there's need, there's need for healing. But the reset says your sin has been forgiven. Your past has been forgiven. Whatever happened has been forgiven and now it's a brand new day. It's a reset button. The next R we see in this slide is R stands for rights. Rights. You have full rights in the kingdom. There are many rights that you're trying to establish on the ground. But in the kingdom, you are given access to the full rights of heaven. Why? Because as a child and an heir of the king, you are given full rights and privileges of the Christ himself. He has given us the rights to whom the son has set free. He gave him the rights to become the true sons of God. That's not the literal translation. That's just the paraphrase version. He gave us rights. The true heirs. That means we must do right. We have rights and we must do what is right. The next R stands for repentance. I don't know about you, but 
I occasionally have fallen into sin. And when I sin, thank God, the Bible tells us that if we confess our sin, he is just unable to forgive us. You know, many people, when they do wrong out there, they, get, they may go to prison, they may get a fine, and they say, well, I've, done, I, I've paid my fine, I, I've, been, I've paid my time. Yeah, but you've still got sin in your life, and Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, took our sin once and for all. He paid the price. So repentance is what keeps us in right relationship with God. And here's the next thing. Here's, to me, rights. One big area, it's called reconciliation. One of the R's of, the R factor of the, of the kingdom is the reconciliation factor. This whole thing is, if our government and the governments of this world begin to make changes that the people on the ground are beginning to fight for, you know what that still doesn't do? It still doesn't fix the need for reconciliation on the ground. You and your brother, you and your neighbour, you and your work colleague, reconciliation is what God gives us in the kingdom. Not only does God, watch this, not only does God reconcile you with him, but he says the first ministry, yes, the very first ministry you and I receive when we're born again, do you know what it is? It's the ministry of reconciliation to go and reconcile man back to God. You and I, as we stand in righteousness, righteousness, there's another R. These are all the R ratings that if God does not find these R ratings inside his own church, they're in the kingdom, but can he find them in the church? If there is no R factor inside the lives of the people, then righteousness cannot exalt the nation. Righteousness, your righteousness cannot exalt the nation. So reconciliation, righteousness, relationship, reset, rights, the power of reconcile, indifference. Wow, what a powerful, powerful thing. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Then we have redemption. On my next slide, we have redemption. Though Christ, we can take back what has been corrupt. You know, I took back any evil that was intended to be, to be poured over my city in the spirit. I nullified it in the spirit. I took back what the enemy meant for destruction and I began to speak blessing over my nation. Church, I want to encourage you in this moment of diversity and racism, I want you to speak peace over the nation. Your voice right now in the spirit realm will reveal what's inside your heart, but it will also begin to Release a whole new fragrance over our city. I'm telling you, I spoke it last week for an hour. I fought for it in the spirit to pray for peace over the city. And I had a tremendous success. And I walked away skipping like a calf. I really felt that God had heard my prayer and he had saved our city. One righteous man can intervene in the affairs of racism. Then we see respect. Oh, respect, respect. You know, again, respect brings legitimacy back to authority. In the kingdom of God, you have the right to be respected. Your father respects you. Your father loves you. He sees what he's made and he respects you. Then we have responsibility. Wow, last week I took my responsibility. I stood in the trenches and I went to battle for the city. During COVID-19, 
We've been walking around our city as a church. We've been taking our responsibility to walk around our streets and begin to pray health, wealth, peace, reconciliation, restoration, all these R's. This is the R rating God's looking for in his church. If he cannot find the R rating in his church, my friend, then we are no different than what's going on outside. There's an R rating that should be found. Never mind the rate of infection outside, the R rating in the kingdom. Then we see, and probably this is probably one of the most difficult of all things, and it's called relearning. If we are going to turn racism upside down and knock it on its head, we have to relearn. Now, to relearn, it means we have to unlearn in order to ultimately learn so many arguments need to be unlearned so many prejudices need to be unlearned we need to get a fresh perspective and you know last Sunday I was sat in the office I came up to the office even though it's a Sunday and I began to do some work and I began to sat sat there and I began to listen and what I did was I want you to, in the book of Acts, there's a story where Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch had, was reading a scripture that he did not understand, and Philip was told by the Holy Ghost to go and run at the side of the the, the chariot, and he heard the Ethiopian reading the book of Isaiah and he's talking, he's led like a a sheep to the slaughter, but he did not understand who he was talking about. And Philip asked him, do you understand? And he said this, how will I ever understand this unless somebody explains it to me? Now think about that for a second. He is now ready to relearn or to learn, to unlearn and learn ultimately. And what I found out last week was this. I had to open the door of my chariot and I had to let black brothers speak to me and give me an understanding of racism that I did not have. I had to move my chariot towards other voices. And I had to sit and listen When I say I had to, I wasn't forced, I did this willingly. I wanted to sit and invite other voices into my heart to give me a perspective that I do not have. Even though I've been raised in a multicultural family, there is perspective on racism that I did not have and I needed in order to protect the house and protect you, the family of God. And I have moved in this whole new understanding and allowed others to come in. And I I implore you, the people of the Dream Center, to open up your heart and determine which voice you're going to allow into your chariot. And open up your heart and say, Father, I may... I've only got one particular bias right now. I've only got one perspective. But Father, give me another version. Give me other perspectives. Give me other experiences. Help, Lord, bring my life into some balance and some perspective. And I did that, and I've done that for the whole two weeks. That's why I kept silent. Because I wanted to know the different perspectives that are there. I wasn't so proud as a white man. I'm thinking, well, I'm pastoring a church of multicultural people. Or I was raised in a multicultural uh, family. That's why I told you that deliberately. 
Why? Because that's not enough for me to understand you. And to understand this house. This house is something unique that God's given us. That's why we were talking before this broadcast, myself, Tom and Ralph, and we were talking. And we were saying that, that the, the words as you come through the door, welcome to a church with a difference. And what makes this church a difference is the people and their mentalities and attitudes towards one another. Because we have different colours in different cultures. And I say, Lord, let it continue. But I had to open up my chariot and I'm asking you this morning. I'm asking you this morning before I, we conclude this broadcast to open up your heart. And I'm going to finish with Psalm 139. Psalm 139, starting at verse 23. And it says, search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way within me. Wow. And lead me into the way of everlasting. Search me, O God. Know my heart. See, that's the chariot opening up and saying, Lord, step in. Give me your perspective, Lord. Give me your thoughts. Give me your feelings. Give me your word on the subject, Lord. Not social media. Come into my heart. Search me, O God. First of all, search me. O oh God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way within me and lead me in the way of everlasting. The message version says this, investigate my life, O oh God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Folks, I want you to Understand the seriousness. I know many of you have lived with prejudice and racism and you've felt victimised and you've felt all kinds of things. But I want you to see there is an R rating in the kingdom that's not in society. And if we don't move to the R rating of the kingdom, we're always going to become victims of society. God has a way of making things right. And if we search our hearts and ask God, Lord, test me. See if there's any offensive way within me. I pray for everyone in the Dream Center. I ask you to bow your heads right now. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. And I'm going to ask you to take this Psalm 139. I'm going to ask you to take it before the Lord this week. And I want, him, I want you to go before heaven and examine your heart this week. And to say, Lord, test me. Search me. Examine me. Test case me. Do whatever you, you've got to do, Lord. If there's any offensive way, if there's any prejudice, if there's any offense, if there's any arrogance, if there's any racism within me, Lord, root it out because I don't want to be a believer. I want to be part of the answer. I don't want to be part of the problem. Father, I ask you right now, Lord, to take these words. Take these words, Lord, and bring healing where there's been pain. Bring forgiveness where there's been unforgiveness. Bring perspective where there's been judgment. Give capacity of God where there's been limitation. Oh, Father, give grace where there's been no mercy. And bring truth where there's been lies. Oh, God, I pray for a, a clean, righteous house. I pray, O oh God, that the righteousness of the Dream Center will exalt the city and will go a long way to exalt the nation.
Father, I ask these things in the name, by the name and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that as you prayed that prayer and continue to pray that prayer this week, that anything that is unwholesome in you will be ripped out and God will give you a love for his people and you'll see people not colour. You'll see nations like God sees nations. Until then, God bless you. Stay safe.